Hey, want to see what I got you today? It's a subscription to the Franchise Flicks podcast to protect you. As long as you have it, nothing bad will happen to you, okay? I promise. Welcome to Franchise Flicks. My name is Ted, and joining me are my co-hosts, Andy and Zach. On this podcast, we task ourselves with watching movie franchises, breaking them down, and reviewing them, including franchises we've seen and love, as well as franchises we've never seen and frankly avoided. Today we're talking about the Hunger Games series. That's right, the movie's based on the popular young adult book series that begs the question, why doesn't anybody in these movies actually look hungry? This series includes 2012's Hunger Games, 2013's Catching Fire, 2014's Mockingjay Part 1, and 2015's Mockingjay Part 2. Well, without further ado, let's get into it. Uh, we always like to start these off with talking about our own experience levels with these franchises. So, uh, Andy or Zach, take it away. Well, first of all, they're kind of following Harry Potter's lead here. The Deathly Hallows Part 2. Yeah. Not exactly original itself. But anyway, we're, we're talking about overall experience here, right? So I uh, never watched any of these before we watched this series for the fran for the podcast. Uh, I never read it. I, you know, I actually got one of the books when they first came out. Never read it. Never finished it. But I own it. If you guys want to borrow it sometime, if you want it. Got a got, cool paperweight now. I got the, yeah, I got the, the first book in paperback. Uh, really nice. Really, really neat. But that's it. Like I started reading the first book. That was the my extent in my history with The Hunger Games. So not a whole lot to go off of here. But I'll tell you, I enjoyed it. Just like as a as an overall thought, and I know we'll we'll kind of get to that. But you know, that's my experience. So yeah, well, it's kind of similar. Except for, like, I have no familiarity whatsoever, so I didn't even purchase the book. Uh, never picked it up. Didn't watch it when it originally came out. Kind of avoided it because that was, I would say, the height of young adult movies being made. Very popular during that time. Not that it's less popular now, but I feel like there were a lot of movies in the um, early 2010 time frame beyond where we'd get a lot of these young adult franchises appearing. Um, but didn't read the books, uh, didn't watch any of the movies, didn't even really pay attention to a lot of the cultural stuff that came out of it, other than just knowing that like Katniss uses a bow and arrow, um, it's a post-apocalyptic type story, but very much has stayed away from the franchise. Yeah, uh, I guess I've got the most experience with this. I uh, actually read the entirety of the first book. Okay. And I enjoyed it. It was a pretty good book, obviously. You got a reader. Yeah, uh, trust me, I, I'm not a reader, and that's, like, why uh, I didn't go beyond that. But when I found out there were going to be movies of these things, I'm like, well, I'm done with this. And uh, shortly after, I watched the first movie, enjoyed that, and uh, I saw the second movie, I think, in theaters. And I really enjoyed the second movie. And overall, yeah, I enjoyed this series for the most part. Why don't we get into uh, the synopses now? So 
for the Hunger Games in what was once North America, the capital of Pan Am maintains its hold on its 12 districts by forcing them each to select a boy and a girl called Tributes to compete in a nationally televised event called the Hunger Games. Every citizen must watch as the youths fight to the death until only one remains. District 12 tribute Katniss Everdeen, played by Jennifer Lawrence, has little to rely on other than her hunting skills and sharp instincts in an arena where she must weigh survival against love. In the next movie, Catching Fire, after arriving safely home from their unprecedented victory in the 74th annual Hunger Games, Katniss Everdeen and Peeta Malark discover that they must do a quick turnaround and begin a victor's tour. As she and Peeta travel throughout the districts, Katniss senses a rebellion is stirring. However, President Snow proves that he is still very much in control when word comes of a cruel change in the rules for the upcoming 75th Hunger Games. Uh, Mockingjay Part 1. Following her rescue from the devastating quarter quell, Katniss awakes in the complex beneath the supposedly destroyed District 13. Her home, District 12, has been reduced to rubble, and Peter Malark is now the brainwashed captive of President Snow. At the same time, Katniss also learns about a secret rebellion spreading throughout all of Pan Am, a rebellion that will place her at the center of a plot to turn the tables on Snow. And finally, Mockingjay Part 2. Realizing the stakes are no longer just for survival, Katniss Everdeen teams up with her closest friends, including Peeta, Gale, and Finnick, for the ultimate mission. Together, they leave District 13 to liberate citizens of war-torn Pan Am and assassinate President Snow, who's obsessed with destroying Katniss. What lies ahead are mortal traps, dangerous enemies, and moral choices that will ultimately determine the future of millions. Well, now that we've gone through the synopses for the movies, why don't we get into some of the big plot points in these movies and discuss those and uh, what stuck out to all of us. Does anybody have anything? I'll jump in just to talk about kind of it ties into my overall thoughts with the movie franchise is I enjoyed the first movie. I thought the plot was pretty good. The second one I liked, but I think suffered from what most book adaptations suffer from, is that there's a lot more story that happens in the actual written material, and it doesn't translate to the movie, so there's a lot of stuff that you just assume in these movies that a character will throw out um, a line of X... Uh, what's my call? Uh, I'm blanking the word. Yeah. Um, it will throw it in there, and you're just supposed to go along with it. And I think that... For me, it made the second movie suffer, even though I did like it. And the last two movies, part one and part two, uh, I, it was hurt watching the whole way through, especially part two for me. I thought it was really rough, the plot, the story that was happening, how you go from the beginning of this movie, where it's very small in scope, really just like understanding Katniss and what she's doing. And then next thing you know, it's like an all out war and there's all these other characters and you want to care about them. But we didn't really ever get enough time with them for me to care about what was going on with them. And I'll talk more like detailed stuff as we work through these movies. But I think like for me personally, franchise started pretty strong and then suffered because of Hollywood and trying to adapt a book into a movie. I see where you're coming from with that. I mean, it's very reminiscent of the Harry Potter series in that, you know, as a, as a Harry Potter reader, 
you you know the movies very well just because of all of the exposition you get from the books. And if, if you didn't have that exposition, I can see how they're kind of spotty movies overall. Um, and I, I again, I haven't read the Hunger Games books, but it seems very similar to that because I feel like I'm on the other side of being a Harry Potter reader, right? I feel like I'm on the other side of there is some kind of spottiness in here, Andy. Like you said, it's it's kind of just you, you get you get a line or two of exposition and you got to live with it. You know, I, and I, I, I think that's very similar to kind of what we talked about in, in The Matrix, how everything is very coincidental, mm-hmm. right? It just kind of always works out. Um, but uh, I thought I, I really enjoyed the, the, the kind of the theme and the, the through line through all of these movies, which, you know, I don't know if this is the right place to talk about it, but the kind of um, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Like it's super strong through the entire franchise, which I really appreciate. Because there's so many franchises that just start with their strong theme, or even maybe on the opposite side, end on a strong theme. But there's nothing really connecting the two ends, and I thought that that theme in particular really was a central kind of through line through this whole franchise. I really appreciated that. But I mean, overall plot stuff, I just I, I kind of like. I think the I, I really like the the post-apocalyptic world, the fact that you know the Kind of like you you assume – I don't know if this is ever explicitly stated, but you kind of assume it's the United States that gets like separated into what is now Pan Am you know, with the 13 districts. I think it's supposed to be the United States, right? Or am I wrong? It, it is. Um, it, in one of the synopses I read, it said North America, what was formerly North America. North America. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, like you kind of see the disintegration into this – dystopian society and civilization and how that continues to disintegrate in in its toxic, you know, kind of government structure. And you see that absolute power totally wreck the government. And then you also see the absolute power rise in, you know, Mockingjay, which is actually why I think it's really cool because they kind of use that theme to its fullest extent when coin you know, rises to power, and then she ends up wanting to do the same exact thing, perpetuate the issues that they've been having for all of these, you know, 75 years since the Hunger Games started. So, you know, that, that, that kind of like that entire through line, and I know it's not super specific through each movie, but that's what I really appreciated about these movies, and it kept me engaged the whole time. I thoroughly enjoyed the series. I, I agree with that, and uh, yeah, it more than anything, you could tell this was based on a book series that clearly just picked up where the last book left off. And that was the same thing with the movies, because it felt less like it was four different movies. In some senses, it felt like it was four different movies. But as far as the through line and the plot and the overwhelming feeling, it felt like it was just an extension off of the same story, which is what it's supposed to be. And a lot of franchises suffer when they don't have that same through line. So as far as uh, strengths for this franchise, that's definitely one. It just feels like it's an extension of the same story, keeps picking up where it left off. I mean, you see from Catching Fire to Mockingjay Part 1, it literally picks up after Katniss is rescued from the quarter quell. 
and it ends when she uh catching fire ends when she's rescued from the quarter quell so it's like no time in between as opposed to something like we're, we're talking about harry potter a little bit those give you a little bit of time to catch your breath because every single one of those starts with a new school year and they get back into it and they meet new people and everything like that this just picks up where it left off and it really is nice to just see a story that continues because that's how life is there's really no break from the bullshit i wanted to talk about some plot points that i noticed uh talking about like that dystopian future uh like specifically the things that i noticed are a huge uh wealth disparity classism and just like a general cognitive dissonance between the essentially nobility compared to the the poor people and like it, it's such a crazy divide and they use a lot of symbolism to show that like literally in the wealthier districts the gaudy makeup and dresses and everything that they wear and the way they style their hair compared to just normal people who work their asses off every day in District 12. Like, it, it's such a palpable difference between them. And uh, that really illustrates, like, how dire the situation is for people living in certain districts. I really thought that uh, the symbolism showed in this, and, like, this entire series is just chock full of sy symbolism. I don't know if you guys saw any. No, for yeah, sure. Totally. There's... I mean, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, there, there's, I think, lots of it, and you the, touched upon the the point of the uh, class struggle, which I think this is the main theme of this movie. Is like, well, and Zach broke it down to like power versus not power. Um, so, however you define it, I think is you know prevalent throughout the whole series. Which, to its credit, they keep doing. One specific plot point I really liked about, and this theme's expressed through, is from the second movie, Catching Fire, when they go to the president's ball, um, or his mansion, whatever that event was called, but there's a line, and I think PETA says it, it's where one of the other capital people offers him to eat something, and he goes like, oh no, I'm too full, I've already, you know, tried so many things. And the, the person says something like, oh, you know, drink this. It'll let you throw up, basically, so that way you can keep eating. And uh, Peter says, like, oh, no, thank you. And then as he's walking away, he's like, I hate this place for that reason. Like, here we are starving, and yet they are able to eat and party and then get to the point where they throw up uh, just so they can keep eating more. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a, another central theme in this is the you know uh, well again power versus not but you know have the, the have and the have nots and 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 you know just just plot specifically you know the reason why that is is because you know they the, the different districts and I, I i did a little bit of research on this because i found it interesting you know kind of the the hierarchy in the districts and I, you know, I don't know how much is really said in the movies, but I did look a little bit into this, and it's because you know they they basically do something different for the country. Each district has like a a specialty in terms of occupation, and and that's what they contribute to the capital. Basically, you know, everybody gets it, it's it's uh, it's distributed, but not evenly, right? And based on what the capital prefers from you know each specific district you know like i think i, I saw that uh the 
first district was a manufacturer of luxury items, right? And so they were the more preferred district. So they're wealthy, you know, not as wealthy as the capital, but wealthier than, say, you know, District 12, where Katniss and PETA are from, uh, which I don't even remember what they produced for the capital. The mining um, district. The mining yeah. district. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're in the mines, right. And so, like, that's that's, like, specifically why and it shows you like the you know the capital district is your one percent right that's like the symbolism that you're talking about ted like in the you know in our society in our country specifically is that you know that the capital district is the one percent and basically everything everybody else does in this country is to benefit the one percent um so that's a, you know obviously huge and, and leads to the uh rebellion that we see you know that that one percent is overthrown, and, and maybe you can say you know the the just the ruling class in general. You know that that hierarchy leads to rebellion in the country, and I think it's kind of interesting. Like you know, I don't want to get political, but it's interesting to see the parallels between that and what we see today more than ever in the disparity between the two. Well, actually, it's a great point, Zach, because I wanted to mention this at some uh, time in this podcast that we're doing. One thing I did not like about a plot-specific point or a thing that carries through is I can't remember which district number it is, but it's the one with all the black people in it. And I really, really disliked watching, especially in today's political climate, those scenes in particular, because that was definitely a movie where... It suffers in this particular moment in time because of current events. I, it was really tough for me to watch that scene, actually, where it was the black people essentially being the first ones to not only stand up um, and fight against, but the first ones where we really see the repercussions of standing up, which is the older man being pulled out of the crowd and getting shot in the head. That was like actually tough for me to watch. I was surprised by how difficult I was experiencing that in the moment. I think it suffers from recency bias, right? Yeah. I mean, like, but, but I, like, I think that's why it's so powerful. But I also think like that it kind of speaks again to some of the current crises that we are going through that kind of prejudice exists even today and in our dystopian future, possibly if we don't fix what we're doing today. Yeah. And it almost seems like that's the point of that. Yeah type of division is to make you feel that level of discomfort. It doesn't feel good. And maybe I, I haven't seen the, or I haven't read the second book, so I don't know exactly how they do that because that's when they start going on the uh, tours. And that's when that uh, really starts to come to a head with the rebellion stuff. So maybe the movie didn't do it in a, tasteful way I, I don't know if there's a tasteful way to do that but uh i i think that ends up being the point and it, it really is interesting to be that a young adult novel that like a lot of people would kind of lump in because of the love story part of it with twilight is so powerful in these messages and symbolism of things that rang true at the time but were kind of overshadowed by the fact that People were just kind of a little complacent in, you know, 2012 because we had an African-American president. You would hear from people a lot that uh, racism is essentially gone, and it, it was just foolish to think something like that. 
So if anything, I, I kind of applaud these movies and the books too, for like bringing light to this issue that was kind of under the surface at that point. It really wasn't being talked about because a, a lot of people thought like, we've done our job here. We've got the African-American president. Look how much progress we've made. And really uh, now today we, we see how far we really still have to go. And uh, it, it's unfortunate and it is uncomfortable, but uh, those are the types of things that you have to see. And it's good that we have media that will uh, touch upon that. To your point, I mean, it's it's not a comfortable scene to watch. And there, frankly, are a few uncomfortable scenes to watch in this franchise. And I think that that's kind of why this stands out for me in the, in the field of YA uh, movies and franchises that we've seen around this time. Andy, like you pointed out, this, this is kind of in the, the golden age of YA franchises. But it does have some of those high-level, you know, kind of rising themes and in, in points to it, which I think, it, it, again, makes it stand out among that crowd. Um, it's not just surface level. There are some real powerful, important themes in this franchise. Um, and that's why I really, I, again, I was really engaged the whole time because of those themes and parallels that we're seeing, you know, in our, in, 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 in our country. Yeah. I think it was just a shock to me because I, we didn't ever really be explicitly told in the movies that the districts were kind of segregated in a way by race. It like, it was, I thought fairly obvious when they talked about like each, you know, district has its thing that it does. It produces something. But I didn't get the impression that it was going to have a racial component to it. Now, maybe that is explored more in the books, but all of a sudden, at least from, maybe I missed it, but okay, we had the two people from district, whatever number it was, they both happened to be black. Um, we did get a few shots of their district, which was mostly black people. So okay, that part came through. But all of a sudden, in the second movie, we go there. And that they were the first ones that broke out into violence. That's the part that bothered me. It's like we, it kind of was accepted to for like, yeah, of course we'd expect the black people to be the ones to break out first, basically into a riot. None of the other districts. That's the part that made it uncomfortable for me is that's the first time we see the outbreak of violence. And do you, so you think it's a, it's an unintentional point? Yeah. I or think, do you think it's, uh, like if I would say it was mic uh, uh, microaggression uh, was what would be characterized. You think so? Yeah, that the because uh, I'm assuming that the writers and directors are not people of color with these movies. Katniss is a white character. No, but uh, I mean, maybe is is the book explicit in in the description of of District Eleven? I don't really remember to be honest. Well, even if it was, only... even if it was though, I... the fact that the depiction of violence stemmed from it. I think is an implicit bias in us to think that it's the black people that need to riot. Like we didn't, we did not get any. All I'm other... saying is, could it be a commentary on what we're seeing? You know, what what actually happens? You know, in terms of you know government oppression of black people. Sure, but the fact that it's violence that sparked out of it first. You mean like black people being shot? Yeah, by the police? yeah. So not only black people being shot by the police, but literally the first time you see the 
the start of the rebellion happened from the districts is with that specific district. Like that's so not a I'm not saying that it's overtly racist that the directors and writers chose to do that. But I think it does highlight our implicit biases, which is a form of a microaggression where we don't even realize like what's happening in the moment there. And I think because of how heightened we are politically with this right now, I was made super aware of in the moment. I was like, oh, my God, we're like about to have the first real rebellion of this thing happen. And it's going to be in the all black district. And then you have a black person get shot first because of it. It didn't happen the way this person. I hear what you're saying. I just think it's I think it's an intentional commentary. I, I that's how I interpreted it. I didn't interpret it as a microaggression towards the black community or you know or or the implicit bias towards black people, you know, when we're talking about who's gonna rise up first. I thought it was a commentary on actual racism. It also I think that's but that's called that's like a a microaggression though so they don't think it's being racist but it, it actually is because you think like oh yeah i'm making a commentary no you're just pointing out something that is an acceptable trope essentially that you can have the black people be the aggressors you can have see show a scene of them getting shot but not the scene of another person you kind of you you pull i understand yeah and it, and it, it i understand what you're saying in terms of the aggression but i uh, yeah like, we could have had that happen in the same district right before, right? Like, there was no—they could have been the ones to start, or the district afterwards, but the first time we see it— and I'm sorry we, we spent a lot of time talking about this point, but I think the movies are good, and this is just one culturally irrelevant moment that didn't take me out of the film, but made me for, like, a, a second feel uncomfortable. And I get what you're saying, and uh, the optics aren't great. You can tell it was— done with good intentions but yeah that the optics aren't great but i will say just one final point on that uh unless you want to keep going on it at least to me because katniss was so kind and loving toward rue in uh the previous movie and they saw her befriend rue during the games i think it might have been more just okay, we really appreciate what you've done and this is the time to rebel and uh, you and your kindness showed what we're capable of, that we're not as divided as we think we are by these districts and that we can come together and finally do something about this. I think that's probably the intention of it because I, I think there's a little more than just specifically it happened in this spot. Like I think the catalyst of that is, uh, you know, the, the symbol with the three fingers is given after uh, she makes mention of Rue and uh, the other individual who uh, let her survive for the same reason, because he saw how kind he, she was to Rue, just gave her one chance at survival and that was it. So I, I think there's a little bit of that as part of it, too, as far as, like, a character relationship going on in that scene as well. I, I agree. I, I don't think I, the writer, director, the author, any of them are racist. I don't think they were intending to be racist. I think they were intending something completely cool and okay, um, something that was not intended to be racist. 
I just think now we would consider that a microaggression, especially considering the times. And it's just what Hollywood does. It's what they present us with, assuming it's okay, but we should be more cognizant of that in today's better understanding of the world. I will say that I'm glad I haven't heard anything from uh, the author in uh, the same vein of uh, J.K. Rowling just ruining our thoughts of her, absolutely ruining her image. Uh, she can go. The books stay. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, uh, any other any other uh, plot specific moments that really stood out to you guys that you want to talk about? Uh, sure. And not really necessarily moments, but just kind of uh, some more themes that I saw. Uh, obviously, there's the love triangle theme, and that's really what gets the YA audience in there. And, uh, you know, everybody can relate to How can we not? the love stuff in any way, shape, or form. One thing I did really enjoy, and then sometimes it got a little stale, were the, the kind of war games that are played, like between the actual Hunger Games and then going into the war and rebellion where they still clung to uh, the Hunger Games being kind of the format with which the war was fought, I thought was really interesting because I, I won't go too far into like how I rank these movies, but I think Mockingjay Part 1 was probably the weakest for me, and I think that's because that one had so little to do with the actual Hunger Games, like the... The entire event that these books and movies are based upon, while uh, one and two have the Hunger Games, and then uh, Mockingjay Part Two goes into the war, but they make it the Hunger Games war essentially by making Hunger Games like traps throughout the landscape of the war. I really like that, Ted. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was something I thought was definitely a strength. Was how do they keep doing this Hunger Games thing? That was my question after the first one. I was like, okay, they did the Hunger Games. Now what do they do? Oh, they're going to do the Hunger Games again, but this time it's the quarter... What is it called? The quarter quell. The, the quarter quell, and then they get the the you know the victors back in there. All the, thought, all the champions, yeah. I thought that was cool, and I, I definitely agree with your point about the first part being weaker for that reason, because we're just like stuck underground the whole time. We don't ever see the game, and then they reintroduce the idea in the second part, where it's like, okay, so remember in the Hunger Games how you had like these things happen? Well, now they're going to happen again. I think if we had more of that, actually, I would have liked it. I, I really enjoyed that part. I like the idea of the, the game maker, those types of characters being in there. I think that would be something as a book reader. I would really enjoy those elements of it. And kudos to the writer, the author, for coming up with that. I think it's a cool concept. You know, we're going we're gonna to do these, like, basically mini missions and bad guys and things that are going to happen to you. Um, and that takes place in each of these books or movies. Yeah, that is a great just device throughout the whole franchise. I agree. Uh, you know, one other thing that I that I I thought was kind of kind of stood out to me specifically in the um, in the Mockingjay movies is the kind of propaganda icon that Katniss becomes and has to kind of like th that is another like character arc for me that's almost like separate from her initial character arc. Like she has to kind of navigate being this propaganda icon for the rebellion and that that's frankly andy you didn't like the last two movies but that that theme in particular kind of got me through 
the last two movies and really kind of isolated Katniss as like the character. Cause I, I think somebody said earlier, like, you know, it's, it's hard to really be invested in a lot of the ancillary characters, you know, that aren't just Katniss and PETA. And I agree, but I think the, the last two movies in that theme in particular, kind of her, her evolution from this, you know, kind of agreeable propaganda, icon moving into the actual hero of the war and kind of overthrowing the new regime um, and just kind of playing into that icon was really, really cool. And I think that really isolated Katniss as kind of the main focus through those movies, which I actually thought benefited the last two movies. I think they really needed to balance the macro, you know, civil war, this this really large thing that they're fighting with the very specific arc of Katniss in those two movies. And I think they did a really great job balancing those two. I just thought it deserved a shout out because I think that actually made the last two movies really, really good. Otherwise, I think I probably would land in, in your camp on that, Andy. I, I might be coming across as hating this franchise too much, and that I really don't. Because I, I compare it a lot to the Matrix trilogy, actually. This reminded yeah. me a lot of that, where you've got a very, again, small-scale story that happens in this larger world, but really you're just kind of following Katniss and Peeta, and then these other characters that come into play in the greater thing, which ends up being the Hunger Games event that they go through. The second movie, same thing, does that same... That third movie, and I'll say part one and part two is like one big movie, it yeah. loses that for me. Yeah, that's where all of a sudden... Now it's it's something different than those other two movies that we just watched. There's more to it. Same thing that I think happened in the Matrix movies where it I think it inflated more into going into two than it did necessarily into three. But when you went from one to two, all of a sudden it was like, all right, this is like a different like kind of movie. Like it's all set in the same world, but now like there's ecstasy, half naked, um, crazy what do we call it? Techno dance scene happening. Like, yeah. And we needed that in this series, to be honest, it was really lacking in the bumping and grinding and uh, raving underground. <laughs> yeah. But it had like, a, yeah. I'm trying to think of like what made it jump the shark for me in this one. I think it was like all the political stuff. And to your point, Zach, about the, when you're, you're mentioning the, like how she's the icon and the, the propaganda piece to it, it kind of felt like really campy and like not as believable. Like maybe in the book as I'm reading it, I might enjoy it more, but at least like watching on a movie, it kind of felt like bad TV with all the like, the, like, oh, we got to go get her in the shot. And, you know, like she's going to, we got to do like this thing for her. It just like, I don't know, didn't feel. I think that's, that's kind of the point too. It's like, it's, it's mirroring the Hunger Games, in a way, like that's like the Hunger Games is this campy, you know, big production, you know, need the views. Like this is their Super Bowl, this is their entertainment, and I think the the you know the Mockingjay mirrors that in a completely opposite way. And that like this now this underground has to try to compete with the Hunger Games to try and get the public on their side, and this is the only way they really know how to do it. 
So I thought I thought that was really interesting because it also plays into the end where Coin go, rises up into the president, and then lo and behold, she wants to kind of continue the tradition that they've just fought to get out of, and and I think that that again that that theme of the taking over the and the gaining absolute power and continuing the toxicity that you've just fought to overthrow. I think that all plays into it. So I thought that was actually really interesting. Maybe my they play. I'm, I'm thinking about it more. Maybe my critique is so much, or is more so that Philip Seymour Hoffman as a character, and I don't want to jump into character stuff too much at this part, but like he is, I think, above this kind of movie. Like he's not a young adult type of actor, and the type of role he was playing in this movie. I could see him playing in a more adult-oriented type movie and just absolutely crushing it. So, like, when he was a part of the third movie and being, you know, like, now I'm the, the guy that's going to come up all these brilliant things and he does this thing with his hand when he's ever thinking of something good and saying it, he puts it here. Like, that's Philip Seymour Hoffman, the amazing actor, um, acting in a children's movie. In a children's movie. He's surrounded by... Act like who, whoever is the person who's the president, coin lady. Like it just, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe any of this. I'm not into this story, what? this plot. Are you downplaying how good of an actress Julianne Moore is? What are you talking about? I'm, I'm downplaying her in this role. That's for sure. Oh man, I just don't know how you can say that about about Philip Seymour Hoffman, but be totally fine with Stanley Tucci being the character. He, I don't even know his name. That guy's ridiculous. This is an absolute star-studded cast. We've got Donald Sutherland. We've got Woody Harrelson, Julianne Moore, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Stanley Tucci. I get no, I think being they, sarcastic, it, but that's like a really good cast. No, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get mean? into the casting of this because no, but I think they all play their their parts in this story so well. Like I love Woody Harrelson's character. Like I think. It makes sense. It's him and it fits these movies. But all of a sudden, the, the third movie, part one and part two, they're trying to tell like a different story with it. It just, it, in the movie sense, it didn't work for me. I would probably have believed it more in the book. But when I see Philip Seymour Hoffman there playing this character, I don't buy it. All right. This is the last thing I want to say about just the plot stuff in general. But like, so what I'm hearing from you is that, I, and I, I'm not trying to, change your mind here i just want to understand where you come from like so in let's let's compare this loosely to the mcu right <laughs> okay and hear me out uh so huge huge arc in the mcu right throughout all these movies until we get to infinity war and endgame and those movies are massive right obviously we don't have the same exposition here but those movies are as macro as you could possibly get in this universe right that is fairly 22 movies long and it's taken its time to get there now we have this much smaller franchise but you know the, the book franchises tend to do this they tend to start very small you get to know your characters yep. and it incrementally grows throughout the franchise and i feel like this movie this this franchise fits that mold really really well i think that it totally gets you to where you you like that that end game so to speak in in a reasonable amount of time you only have four movies obviously three books however it works out however many hours of content you get 
and I think it spans that spectrum pretty well. And I, I hear you saying like it, you don't like that that macro story, but uh, to me, I think it fits it great. And I, I just want to just hear your thoughts on that no i i think i i like what the big plot it's happening at the top i like the overall story that's happening but like if i rank the movies and how they kind of add up to that overall liking i think it goes one in two with one being slightly over two um just because there are some things again i think it's it was probably a really good book and it got crammed to be an okay movie um i'd put those right at the top and then mockingjay part one drops really low for me i i really struggled to get through that one when it ended part of the reason why i hate when they do this with movies part one and part two it's like it, yeah. it kind of just ends in a, a weird place it happened to harry potter part one right like it just kind of ends in a weird place Agreed. so it gets really sure. it gets really low for me there the first part of three as we get into it uh part two rather the first half of it, maybe, or even a certain amount of it, I do really enjoy. It's the ending. I don't know if we want to talk about that before we move away from plot stuff, but the ending of Mockingjay Part 2, it moves very quickly, how it gets through everything, kind of the big reveal of how it happens, what everything's going to... And then, instead of just like letting us sit and breathe with it, we, we get like a, a weird, awkward baby scene... And Peta in the distance, he doesn't even get a line. They're like, "Yeah, we're done. You don't need to talk anymore. We've already signed your check for these movies. You're good." Whatever that actor's name is, and that's it. So yeah, like overall, like really good. But then there's like these really two negative parts about it. I, I mean, I can I can definitely get behind that. I, yeah, I think the ending, as with almost every series I've ever watched, is incredibly rushed, and you don't get really satisfied by it. So I would agree with you there. Yeah, sticking the landing is tough in general. Yeah. Uh, but at the very least, it didn't end with uh, Katniss naming her child after every character she met, like in Harry Potter. So, <laughs> you know, that's nice at least. Because I, I was actually up. fearing of that when I saw the baby. And I'm like, oh no, she's going to think President Snow's some kind of anti hero now. And like, name the no, baby Sinna Snow Sina, you're right <laughs> yeah Malark dash uh Everdeen I was gonna lose it if that actually happened Sinna Rue Snow either of you guys have any more thoughts on the plot or do we want to move into the characters because uh it, you started to kind of go into the characters Zach uh, and I I, I kind of want to transition into that because I, I liked what you had to say about Katniss yeah and uh Jennifer Lawrence playing her um, and I, I, I'm going to go back to what you said a little bit about her and like the, the role that she does play as the Mockingjay and being starting off as the reluctant person who was just angry about being stuck in all of this and just trying to save her sister and save herself and eventually save PETA. Like she only cares about the people who are close to her at that point. And then she transitions into somebody who has to care about this overarching thing. And that kind of starts with, uh, not to go too far back into it, but that start of the rebellion in uh, that one district. I don't know what number it was. 11. But it, it's interesting to see, too, like that they go back and forth for Katniss. Like every time they try to force her to do a propaganda piece, it seems very wooden. 
and she can't really do it. But then there are these moments that end up happening when they're starting to film those that actually uh, like propel her into being the emotional, natural leader that she needs to be. And maybe that stuff's kind of coincidental and maybe there is more to it in the books and maybe it was a little rushed in the movies. But I, I did like that dynamic of uh, Jennifer Lawrence playing Katniss where like you feel like she just can't bring herself to do this and then she goes to District 12 and sees the devastation. Or there's the scene in Mockingjay Part 1, I believe, where they're bringing uh, some of the, or maybe it was Part 2, when uh, some of the survivors, uh, the collateral damage, are being brought from one of the districts and uh, everybody's getting off the uh, train or whatever and the one guy is trying to assassinate her. And like that whole sequence propels her into shooting a really great propaganda piece somehow. So I really like that, how they like brought out all these levels of her character with that. Yeah, I think Katniss is an incredible female lead character to give audiences both young and all old. I'm sure there were readers of the Hunger Game novels that really appreciated having the character of Katniss to follow and grow up with. I think that's really cool. I think Jennifer Lawrence crushes it in the role, too. Someone who... The character is kind of like stern, too, or like, not stern, but comes across as not very welcoming. And to an actor, sometimes that can be like their normal persona, too. So, like, you don't ever get to see them act. You just see them kind of be themselves in roles. In this case, I think she does a phenomenal job of portraying this character and the type of personality that she has, and then giving us some really, really strong emotional scenes. There's the moment in, I think it's Mockingjay Part 2, after she's been, like, strangled by PETA. She's just, like, really emotional in a couple scenes after it. And in her eyes, she's just giving it away how emotional she is. Like, she's telling me right there, I believed the character Katniss was in immense pain. Unlike maybe in some other young adult novel or adaptations where you've got like a lead type character who might come across as cheesy in a moment like this. No, Jennifer Lawrence makes me think that I'm watching a, an Oscar-worthy film and she's the lead actress in it giving uh, a lifetime performance. It was like really good. It's phenomenal. Yeah, um, I I can totally understand now why she was such a uh, huge pop culture icon, you know, at that time, like she crushed it. Like I saw, I saw so many mocking Jay pins for a hot topic. That was, <laughs> that was it, man. She was, yeah. she was fantastic. You know, you've made it when you've got something, a hot topic. Seriously, man. She was great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you guys have said all I can say about Jennifer Lawrence. I mean, she was awesome. I, I loved the character of Katniss. I thought she was fantastic. Again, you guys have said really everything I have to say about that. I will tell you, um, I did not like, I mean, I guess you would have to say PETA is the second lead, right? Mm -hmm. I don't like Josh Hutcherson. I really don't. He's, I didn't like PETA. Can we? What? I don't want to interrupt, but like, can we talk about like the character Peta and the actor? What's his name? I, I have to look it up. Josh, Josh, Josh Hutcherson. Josh Hutcherson. Because like, oh man, if you're gonna do a story about the 
what's the name for it? he's basically like a cuck right can we can we call, can we call him a cuck? oh man maybe no, it's a love triangle maybe no, love it's triangle. more like an incel incel like right okay, there's <laughs> okay there there's some weird things about this and yeah i and you're supposed to i get what the intent of and i bet it's way better in the book is you're supposed to feel bad for this character and really the whole time with him i'm like i just don't want him like i just don't even care at all like oh he gave the bread to katniss because he really loved her but like his life wasn't really that bad was it i mean he was baking bread things like seem to be going okay with him like everyone is worried about like him living and the whole time he's like nah just let me fucking die please like <laughs> just everything and then this actor Josh Hutcherson, I don't think he does the role any service. Like I, f- I agree. He's a he's actually a little guy. He, he's kind of short, so whenever he's in a scene with anyone else, he just kind of looks meek. I I don't even I can't even feel for him. Can't feel. Can't make the connection. And I don't think maybe he's that bad of an actor. I haven't really seen him in anything else. But this role was not for him. Should have done it. Yeah, he he definitely fits the like subreddit of the nice guys or uh brain cells and cells whatever yeah and that that whole bread thing is made worse too in the last movie when he says you know i uh burnt that bread on purpose J- just in case uh you didn't feel like you owed me anything anymore you know i i burned it on purpose so like you you definitely owe me here so are we gonna get hitched or what yeah, it, it doesn't like, work very well, but I, I don't know. that The alternative is Stale Gale, who, who has no emotions. <laughs> Liam Hemsworth just does nothing for you, except for the, the only emotion sh- he shows, and I mentioned this before we started recording, was uh, that he gets all moody when he sees PETA because he knows that she has feelings for him, and he just gets whiny and moody about that, and that's really his only emotion other than just kind of quiet, big, strong dude who hunts with Katniss, who grew up with her. And he's like a brother to her, too. Like, of course she's not going to pick you. I don't agree with picking Peta necessarily, but, I mean, of course she's not going to pick him because she grew up with the guy. He's essentially a brother. She has a picture of him next to his mother, her, her mother and her sister. I mean, that's pretty much her family growing up, so... I, I don't know. Neither of them did it for me. Uh, Liam Hemsworth doesn't do anything in the first two movies. Yeah. He literally doesn't do anything. He's like, why is he there? He earned a paycheck to look handsome. That's how you know you've made it in life. When you get to participate in a movie, you get to be the in the second. I just looked it up. He is the second credited actor in this movie. The second film, whatever that one's called, Catching Fire. Oh, that's absurd. That's he's crazy. in it for like fifteen minutes. He, he, you literally just get shots of him going. He, she linked with Peta, and yeah. that's it. And it's just it's him on the edge so of the sad. woods being sad. And he's <laughs> always looking. Or so you don't get the video version of this. This is really sad for this version of the podcast. But in shots in that movie, he's literally at like a side kind of profile, so you can see his jawline. They're like, we we just gotta show off a Hemsworth jawline. Okay, yep, that's gonna that's gonna get us some quality points with the uh suburban 
mothers who are uh, very attractive to the Hemsworth. So it's going to get us yep. lots of points and they'll bring their children to see this movie because we'll have... 33 to 47? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And every shot also has him sitting on the ground uh, with his arms over his uh, <laughs> knees. So you can see him like half flexing. He's always wearing like a semi-tight thermal. So, yeah, it, they're, they're just showing him off. He's eye candy, and that's why I call him Stale Gale. That poor guy got, got no personality. Like, shit, man, it's not fair. You know what? I don't feel <laughs> that bad fair. for him. It's not bad being the second best Hemsworth, you know? <laughs> I guess not. I'm you gonna know, still. I'm rooting for Luke. I don't care. Luke Hemsworth, you got to vote here, my man. You're, you're the, the second the, best Hemsworth. <laughs> Any other characters stand out to you guys? Uh, Woody Harrelson is my yeah. guy, bro. Yeah. He is other so that, good hair, in this. The hair is pretty. I don't even care. Hair. I don't even care. I thought he was fantastic. I yeah. love Woody Harrelson so much, man. He was great. I thought Elizabeth Banks was pretty good. I mean, her character like was it was weird, but like I thought she did okay outside of her accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was the most human seeming of the upper elites in the capital. Yeah, and uh, like that that says a lot for that character where she's able to somehow connect with these people that are below her. Like you, you see her transform from the very first scene you see her is during the reaping. And uh, th- that's such like a disturbing scene because you see all these people in District 12 wearing their best clothes, which are just like the grayest things ever. And they come out like they're being hauled into church. And it- it's just this emotional scene where these children are told they're going to be in a death match. And she has to act super excited about it and, like, make it sound like it's an honor and all this shit. And, like, she does such a good job of, like, showing that real disparity, but also being able to connect on a human level with these people that nobody from the upper districts seemingly should. And then, yeah, hey, Mitch, I really liked uh, he does a good job of kind of towing the line of he's obviously got some PTSD from when he won the Hunger Games and he uh, is an alcoholic because of it. But when push comes to shove, when like shit needs to get serious, he's actually really charismatic and he's able to get Katniss and Peta uh, some sponsors when uh, Katniss alienates everybody because she's such a grumpy girl. So, uh, yeah, I liked both of those characters. Now, Zach, you might disagree with this character, but one that I actually really liked was Stanley Tucci's character. So, except for towards the end... I don't disagree end, with that at all. I thought he was great. Oh, I thought you were saying because, like, big-name actor, like, doing, like, a kind of like I'm a just saying, campy role. No, I'm just saying that you 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 can you can't criticize Philip Seymour Hoffman and just be totally fine with standing the choose. Oh no, I was not criticizing Philip Seymour Hoffman. That's the I was criticizing the movie because that man was acting for an Oscar in this movie. And that was the problem. I just didn't believe it. I was like, no 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 this is a whole different movie every scene like when he shows up. <laughs> now on the other hand the character Caesar, he works. I thought he's like the yeah. perfect talk show really type yeah. host thing for this world that they built. He yeah. like everything about it. I believed. I was like, oh yeah, all these fucking 
rich people they they eat this shit up they love his thing like i get it even all of, like the drama stuff too where it's kind of like very cheesy over the top where like oh you're gonna tell us a little bit of insight about the dress you're wearing thing like where did that like all of that stuff that he does in it like i i believed it that that, that et host yeah the exactly. lopez yes. <laughs> right in yeah. this world in the, yeah. the, the world created by the hunger games and pan am and all of that uh character that did not work for me the oh one more actually positive character before i say something negative uh lenny kravitz as cinna uh really powerful Cinna was awesome every moment is very much aligned with like katniss's journey and becoming yeah. the character that she is very emotional scene when he gets beaten up uh, as she's going away yeah. like that pulls like when that happens and she reacts to it and then immediately has to jump into the hunger games pretty pretty intense scene right there yeah it's rough uh, and it's lenny kravitz like you know, oh, it, he it. just plays like this great like journeyman you know what i yeah. mean like that that like that 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 encouragement until that encouragement gets crushed and she jumps right in and then like that's like some huge major impact in drama when that happens and it just goes to show you like how important his character was to that point uh i thought he played it great i love i love sin i thought he was an awesome character and when i saw lenny kravitz like was on like was in was in these movies it's like oh that's weird i've never seen him act before <laughs> like how but yeah, he was he one of my favorite job. characters. He was awesome. And, and like kind of going back to uh, what I said about Effie, uh, she takes a while to connect to uh, the people from District 12, uh, Peta and Katniss. But Sina immediately bonds with Katniss and like can tell what this thing really is, these Hunger Games, what they really are from the outset and he's not sugarcoating it or anything. And like he, he puts that into the outfits he makes for her. Uh, he puts it into everything he says to her as words of encouragement. The only thing I didn't like, and I think maybe it's just a crappy line, he says uh, about the first outfit, well, these aren't real flames, but don't worry, they won't burn you because yeah, it's fire resistant. I'm like, what? But if they're not real flames, why would it matter if the suit's fire resistant? It's a really weird, janky line. Uh, that he says right before they go out and parade them through uh, the Capitol in the beginning of the movie. Just really weird. It's not his fault. Just kind of a janky line. I don't know if that's from the books or not. I don't really remember. But what was your uh, one that you don't like, Andy? Uh, so there, are two, there are two characters. So I'll put them in order of like when we get introduced to him, and it's both presidents. So it's first it's Donald Sutherland um, as President Snow, and then Julian Moore as President Coyne. Donald Sutherland plays like a good villain, but just like I don't, I don't know if the it's the character of President Snow and like how it exists in this world. Like he doesn't, like he just comes across as like the old bad guy. Like it's kind of very given in all of his lines. I don't think he's really present in the first one all that much, right? It's just like a couple scenes, and yeah. so then like we get more and more introduced to him. But like I don't know, I, I just saw a lot of character development with there i don't think it's necessarily like a bad thing with donald sutherland obviously being an actor just you know it didn't need to be him it could have probably been some other actor you don't know really the name is coming in the role and fit the bad guy or maybe someone else i don't know didn't work for me same thing with president uh coin 
she's supposed to be i think it maybe works a little better for me the stoic type of leader where she sees everything is kind of like gray that's why they're all wearing gray she her hair is gray it's very plain and simple it was okay but i feel like it could have been done more where she came across as less emotional and very much more stoic uh, and then when the switch happens at the end and you it's kind of revealed that she's just as bad as snow i really didn't buy the character switch because i never bought the character before where i really thought that she was ever a, a truly good person um i always got the sense of gray neutral and maybe that's a that pays respect to the story itself that's being told the type of character that was intended to be there but what came across the screen did not hit for me. I just didn't, I didn't jive with it. Almost kind of what I would say people might criticize Admiral Holdo, kind of a type of character in The Last Jedi. I can kind of see some of their points without knowing like the greater story. I didn't really buy her when it started, didn't really buy her at the end. But maybe the fact that I read the Leia novel and it happens to be one of my favorite Star Wars novels and we get Holdo in there. So I have like a whole nother version of Holdo in my head. I see like the bigger picture with it. Not so much with Snow or uh, the Coin. It's an interesting Coin is arguably the main villain in the franchise you know at least the last two movies obviously i mean i, I think it's it's pretty clear you know that the, the president snow is definitely a villain and and he is an overarching villain but he does have his own character arc through the movies that softens towards the end i think intentionally to give room for coin to rise to that emperor palpatine kind of role right the the overarching villain in the overall franchise kind of in the shadows in the, the real phantom two, menace if you will right yeah. <laughs> so you know i think that she's i really think that she's the villain and i don't think it's a secret you know when you get into mocking jay part one i think it's to be understated for sure but I think it's not. There's plenty of foreshadowing to show you that at the end she is the villain. I mean, she is the one that is taking the power, and again, it's perpetuating the system that she just fought so difficult, you know, so hard to uh, to overthrow. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I agree I, with the the plot there, how it connects from point A to point B to point C, etc., and her character getting us through it. I just didn't buy this actor playing this character doing it it like it didn't it didn't work for me i never cared to well, i guess my point is like i don't think you were supposed to think it's a switcheroo you know what i mean like it's it's clear uh, to me from from the get that she is going to be the one to take snow's spot as the main villain in the story okay that's interesting maybe i didn't get that I actually, I don't think I thought of that at all while I was watching them. I thought more so that one of the foreshadowing things, but it fits this now that I, I see um, your thought on this. Uh, but she, she talks about something with like their type of government, like what they do, how it's, it's different. Something to do with like how they, their democracy was. I can't even remember the exact line. It was, I think, early on when they're like underground in District 13. And I was like, okay. So I see what they're doing here. They're going to set up this character who will ultimately, you know, be kind of 
the same as the bad guys because that's like the point is power corrupts and like all of that but i never saw it as kind of like the villain though i just always thought it was going to be more of like yeah their government was going to be no better it was going to be more oppressive in terms of like that's why they're all wearing gray i thought like okay that's like what's going to happen you're not, you're not going to be able to really express yourself that's why we don't want katniss to ultimately like maybe be the face of everything because like people will see that she's got like a a passion rather than just like the logical everything's gray we need to make sure we do x y and z in order to achieve our goals sort of thing that's the vibe i got from it no i see your like that yeah she i mean she she kind of comes off as a pragmatic leader and eventually that could lead her into the evil path or something along those lines. Yeah, like, we have to. We have to. Like, we, like, it's what we need to do in order to, but instead, right, right. The, the, like, she's kind of menacing at the end. And I didn't buy maybe the menacing portion of that character Mm. because she was never menacing the other times. I don't know about that. I see. I think that, I, I, to me, I thought her her views were pretty well laid out. I mean, to the point where she literally had press conferences essentially, you know, with, the underground district 13 at the time and you see exactly what she's thinking through the whole time and you can just see eventually this is going to lead to the continuation of the government that she's already on and you, to your point yeah. you can see the kind of the the devolution of her ideals during those types of speeches and monologues but I don't think it again. I don't think it was a, a secret from the beginning. I think they intentionally started her at a point and brought her straight down. I don't think there was any any sort of redemption within that arc. I don't know. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with like both of your points combined. So I saw like I could see it coming, and I could see it in those moments where you could see she was clearly threatened by Katniss and what she represented. So she was reluctant to use Katniss as the Mockingjay and as their symbol because she thought it would threaten her ultimate seizure of power. But uh, at the same time, you can still see exactly where she's coming from from the beginning. And... uh, She's honestly not super menacing at the end. Really, the the worst thing she does, I mean, there are a lot of terrible things she does, but as far as once she sees the power, and the worst thing she wants to do is hold one more symbolic hunger game, if I'm remembering correctly. Wasn't it just yeah. one more? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, and Katniss obviously takes advantage of that to uh, ultimately end both her and Snow, uh, because in the end, uh, even though it's just one more, it's the same thing as what Snow was doing before, is it's using it as a symbol, and uh, whether it's punishing the people that were uh, getting enjoyment out of it beforehand, or if you're punishing the people who rebelled before, it doesn't really matter. You're punishing people for the sake of doing it and to send a message. And uh, ultimately, like that, that's the, the end message of the movie is uh, ultimate uh, power corrupts absolutely. And then also, no matter who it is, if they don't have the right intentions, it it's just not going to end well with somebody else seizing power, especially when they have themselves in mind for that. 
Yeah, and I think you actually hit on a really good point that that uh, kind of is the catalyst to her absolute power is that is that power struggle between her and Katniss, that palpable power struggle, and that is kind of what leads her to that desire for absolute power. Is that Kat she, Snow is not the one who threatens her power; it's Katniss, yep. and she has to battle that ally versus enemy kind of paradigm with Katniss that whole time. And that's really interesting to me. It was a really intriguing part of her character. Yeah. Um, I do want to touch on one quick thing about Snow. Uh, I, I agree in some aspects he didn't really work, but I did enjoy, like, going back to my comment about uh, the, the theme of, like, war games. His character really gets into that. Like, he enjoys the game within the war and the strategy of it because he, he really likes the toe-to-toe -to -toe back and forth with Katniss as much as he wants to kill her you can almost feel like a disappointment when he finds out that he thinks he killed her at one point and you can see how much he enjoys the little conversations they have together when they are in a room together and the, the cat and mouse game the back and forth that's going on yeah um, and that's a really interesting part of his character. It could have been done, I agree, uh, by plenty of actors. It didn't necessarily have to be Donald Sutherland, but I, I think he did a pretty good job of that, and I like that uh, piece of the character. Maybe if we got more of him in the first movie, I would yeah. have. I think maybe that's the problem, is that he's a character really more... Like, yes, we get him in the first one, but to who, like, he actually is as a person, and we get to see him interact with other types of characters, especially his granddaughter, too, I think is really powerful stuff, actually, mm -hmm. um, to see his reaction there and her reaction. Like, there's a scene where she has her hair in the Katniss braid, and then, like, he gives, says something about it. I can't remember exactly what the line is, but it's, like, the decree or whatever. And she, like, instantly starts unbraiding it. And I was like, okay, yeah, that was cool. Um, well done. Mentioned another character, though. Not that I disliked her, and I feel bad. The the younger sister, uh, what's her name? Uh, Prim. Yeah, Prim. Primrose. Primrose works for me in the first one. <sighs> Second one, I think, from what I remember... It was in the land, Mockingjay. In Mockingjay, uh, all of a sudden we get Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. That's why I kept calling her, because I couldn't remember what, what her name was. <laughs> but it was Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. I thought it was... Why? Because, I, actually, is it in the second one where she know, she does like the whole morphine thing with the needle? I think so. When he gets whipped? Yeah, okay, so that's... Okay, it's the second one, actually, where, where I start calling her Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Because she, like, stops her mom from, like, grabbing the morphine because she's shaking. She's like, I got this, mom. And then, like, she draws the morphine from the vial. And then, like, she she jabs it in and, like, puts, injects the morphine into him. And I'm like, where the heck did that come from? We've not had any ounce of this 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 chick being, you know, a, an ex, uh, a, knows anything about medicine, like, whatsoever. And I'm like, okay, weird. It just, like, threw me off. And then, like, they kept, like, doing other, like, hints at this later throughout the movie. And then there's one where she's, like, a, a really cheesy line. She's like, yeah, I'm, I'm training to be a, a doctor now. It's like, she's, like, 14. What do you mean she's training to be a doctor? Like, what? <laughs> who trains? No, I don't, I don't believe this at all. And oh, 
They were in the middle of a war, so I, unprecedented times, I guess. There's probably exposition in yeah. that we didn't. In the book, yeah, you know, I bet we, would be way better achieved, but yeah. it just didn't work for me. And then the scene happens at the end with her being there to get blown up. And I'm like, so this plot device was introduced back in this second movie, and I'm supposed to believe it. And no, literally from that moment, I thought about the whole time. And any time I saw her scene after the whole morphine injection, I was like, oh, here we go. Comes Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman again. Back to the scene. So it like I kind of ruined it for myself because I knew at the end she was coming back. I was like, oh, this is how this is what's going to happen. She's going to die because they're going to literally like have the medics come in at the end to save people. And she's going to be there. And that's how she dies. She can't make it out. She's got a sacrifice. She, she was... Yeah, I, her, she was one character where, I mean, I think I mentioned it earlier, like, there are definitely things that you can tell that would be better in the book, <laughs> you know, like, those things that are just kind of missing unless you're a book reader. Her character was definitely one of those things. There just wasn't enough of her to care about. Yeah. Like, even from the get-go, you're like, okay, yeah, it's Candace's sister, and she's the one who's you know, uh, volunteering to go in her place. And that makes sense. But beyond that, what real purpose does Prim have in the series? Not much. Yeah. Yeah. There's really nothing else there. And unfortunately, uh, with cramming and stuff, you see from the second movie on, they're literally like, well, how are we going to get her to the finish line where she blows up? Uh, and that's really what, what it comes down to for Andy's point yeah. is uh, it just kind of cramming these little things in here or there. It's like, well, we did it. We, we mentioned something about it, and technically nobody can get mad at us when she blows up and she's a little doc. So <laughs> it is what it is. It, it's a symptom of the book series adaptation into movies and cramming everything in. These movies do a pretty good job, I think, uh, without knowing beyond the first book uh, much about this series. But it, it it's inevitable that this shit's going to happen. But yeah, that, that's kind of jarring. Any other characters we want to touch on? I think we should move on. Yeah, yeah. that's fun, though. I like talking about those characters. Yeah, that, they are. Uh, to be fair, just to button it all up, really interesting characters. Yeah. Great, great uh, um, cast Overall, I mean, I think we can all agree on that for the most part. I mean, oh, there's a star-studded cast, flat, but like, I thought the cast did a great job of portraying the characters they were given. Absolutely. Uh, do we even want to talk about CGI and effects, or do we just want to skip that? I mean, there's really not much to talk about. No, I mean, there's there's a bit in there, you know, with the you know, I think the water effects were really cool. The the games yeah. effects were good, you know, um, you know when they had to add in things. I mean, everything was 2010 where it should have been. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it was fine. I don't, I don't know. That there's much else to mention, though. Anybody I, else? Yeah. I'm just trying to think of things that might have been jarring. I we've we've mentioned this maybe in the pre-taping the 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 dog creature thing. Oh, the dogs that go around. Yeah, the, the, those yeah. are rough. But kind of going back to our uh, episode on the Matrix, they they make the right choice, and I don't remember if this is in the book, but they go with the dark, you know, at night feel, and that hides a lot of imperfections with that stuff, and it's a lot of uh, fast movements away from things too, so it's not as bad as it could be, but it stands out, especially watching on 4K TVs now. It's 
it's going to stand out to us now for sure. Yeah, I, I had two actually issues uh, with some of this stuff. One was the fog really like I didn't think the dogs were that just kind of looks like animals. I think it's really hard to sometimes make animals believable, believable so like I can accept it. But like the the smoke fog poison stuff scene uh, looked really cheesy and. I feel like even back at that time, there would have been better maybe particles for gas and stuff like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little too critical of it, thinking for like what kind of this is. Uh, it just stuck. It was very jarring to me, didn't it? I think it was just jarring because it was just kind of random um, during, yeah. you know, in the movie. But I, th- I like I thought it was. You know, it kind of reminded me of um, that. That particular effect reminded me a lot of. I think it was Harry Potter when they go into the forest and they go meet uh, the spider, which I can't remember the name right now. But Aragog. it's like Aragog. I'm sorry. Come on. Wrong <laughs> franchise, mine. What kind of fan are you? Don't fucking call me that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the fog. You know what I'm talking about? That comes yeah, in at yeah. that point. Uh, maybe even in in the fourth one with the, in the cemetery, it's it's that Harry Potter fog. That's what it reminded me mm. of. It was very very Harry Potter. Which, to be fair, we're all I think earlier than than these movies, right? Yeah. With, no. Didn't they oh come yeah. Out before these movies. Yeah. So, I, I yeah, think so, even the last one came out before the start. Before of the these. yeah, I thought so too. So anyway, so I mean, maybe it's a it, the the effects are similar to that, and they're they're a bit earlier than these movies. But no, I thought that. I think that's a great point, though, because it was now that I think about it, it was kind of fantastical how the the fog was moving, not realistic. And I think that was the part that was weird because CGI, even at that time, I think, is really good with gaseous or gaseous particle physics. And because this is more science fiction than fantasy leaning as a, a type of genre for sure like there's no fantasy element yeah. the the way this fog moved was very fantasy like right the fact that it was like rushing towards them how is like that's what i mean like in all of the physics as opposed to like you could have it make it look like natural gas that's you know i, I get it. your point i just feel like it was, it was not no not so much fantasy but manufactured manufactured yeah and to that point, I think it's supposed to be yeah. manufactured, you know, because all of the everything that happened within the Hunger Games was manufactured. So it wasn't as jarring to me because of that. I think it, it, uh, everything that you experience in the Hunger Games is a result of the game master designer. I don't even remember yeah. what they called it, but it's a result of those people in that room creating obstacles and hardships within the games so um i like the manufactured aspect of it actually i think it kind of played into the uh the theme of the movie no good point about that i didn't even consider how that fit in Uh, the the other thing i want to mention too that i really didn't like about this movie uh ted you mentioned the scenes in the night that kind of like hide a lot of this stuff I wish they actually shot in the night, though, because a lot of the nighttime scenes were daytime with the the teal filter over it. And I feel like in a movie of this budget, at least, you should not do that so often. Uh, Scenes can be way more powerful and way more believable when they're actually shot in the dark as opposed to clearly shot in the daytime and they use the teal feature. Like we just watched uh, Annabellum recently. Right. And like that whole movie was basically shot at probably three o'clock in the afternoon 
and it's just all peeled out. There were some really bad scenes like that in this movie too. Where it's like, like all of the DCEU. Yeah, actually a lot of very few. Hey man, I don't like those movies because of anything to do with some Super things. bad movies. <sighs> but yeah, I just don't like it in the these bigger box office. Like, oh, that's a that's an effect from a, a while well, back. To be like, fair, I mean, this is basically like just a really expensive limited series. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's it's got that feel, you know, it's just like quick. Well, like I think Ted mentioned it earlier, like it's just quick fire, like no break in between to be continued story, you know? Yeah. Any more thoughts on CGI effects? Oh, let's uh, let's power through this, boys. I mean, I, I think we've covered like, any, well, all right. Before we move into anything else, music. I can't speak to music really because I didn't notice it at all. I couldn't even tell you the theme of the movie. I I, I, couldn't, I couldn't hum it for you. I don't know it. Do you know the, I the, the Mockingjay whistle? A few things. Uh, the, there is the Mockingjay theme. The do 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 do. Yep. And Got there it. are a lot of repeated themes. That's how this these movies are scored. Uh, and that kind of goes back to uh, them being all part of the same story overarching. Uh, that There's not really a change between the movies. So that there's obviously the Mockingjay theme. Um, and those are kind of in moments of like hope or uh, the rebellion moments when they give the uh, the three-finger sign. There's the new show theme uh, hosted by Caesar that plays, uh, but that's also the same as the theme that plays when they're paraded through the Capitol the first time when Katniss hmm. and Peter are wearing the girl-on-fire outfits. Then they've got that uh, kind of mock heroic tribute theme that plays whenever they show the kind of projected thing that shows who died in the hunger games during the hunger games when they shine that in the sky kind of like a a bat signal of uh, how many people died (laughs) and it's mostly just themes though like it's just little themes and then other than that there's like at the beginning of the hunger games I, i remember at the beginning of them for the second movie right after Katniss gets shoved in there after uh, Cinna is murdered in front of her, essentially. It's just like kind of sonic dissonance to show confusion. So like they, they just use those themes and then uh, a lot of dissonance Extra. and uh, extended very whole notes. Yeah, it's just a lot of stuff to uh, create tension, essentially. Like yeah. it's not super complicated, but I did notice it all because uh, so much of it is repeated. But I I don't blame you for not noticing it because it kind of just blends in with all of this stuff. Well, yeah, I think you hit on a really good point. And this is something I say about all good scores is that it it, it feels integrated. And and I think I, I, I didn't notice it even more now is because I think it's intentionally integrated. It's mm-hmm. very produced. It's very it, – it's, it's all within this – production within a production kind of and so it's it, it's not really noticeable so really good point about that i think you know now that you mentioned i do notice those those recurring themes but i just think of it as like the internal production within the movie you know it's 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 interesting yeah well okay well, that is kind of the interesting part of it though uh, go on andy well, i just want to add to this then maybe that's one of the reasons why i'm not connecting with this franchise 
and because when I have a franchise and there's music involved, I think like this should lend itself where there are characters and there are themes that are reoccurring like Star Wars, which is the maybe the prime example of what you can do with musical motifs. But we've talked about other franchises and other musical themes and motifs that I think are are carried. Like in, well, Indiana Jones is also written by uh, John Williams, so kind of sucks that most of our podcasts involve John Williams discussions. Yeah. But even The Matrix, um, I will say, like the music that was used for it, there were a couple things I liked. For, I feel like I forgot music was in this movie. Like other than the Mockingjay, no, like yeah, I didn't I, know there was music. I, I did too. I do too. And, and again, I think that just shows you how well it was done in terms of the overall intent of the film. Like it, it really wanted to show you kind of the propaganda of this kind of this, I, I guess, government. I don't really know how else to explain it, but show you the, the kind of like I think I think back to like, you know, early what is it world war one world war two propaganda in the united states where it's like this this recruitment propaganda everything is very produced to make it shiny and and appealing to people right that's kind of what it seemed like in, in terms of the uh the way the um story was told and i think it blended in really well so i mean i didn't notice the music in particular and i, I you know i don't i don't even know who scored it who who composed Yes. Yeah. No. I, I, anybody know? I, I pulled it up to look. Um, it's James Newton Howard. Uh, his what he's done, um, like big name things. Uh, he actually did the the theme or the Dark Knight. Uh, I Am Legend. Uh, what are some other big movies? Batman Begins, which is interesting because he does have that's like one. Of, so I actually was interpreting that as a criticism of the film, Zach is that I don't remember any of the music, which bought, and I think that's why I'm disconnecting from this movie, because usually, like, when I'm into something that has really good music, like, those two things go head to head. So good to the rest of this movie for telling a story without needing music, because I think music sometimes really helps scenes. I The fact that I can't think of a single tune other than the Mockingjay whistle, man, that sucks. I didn't even know there was music. <laughs> yeah, I definitely understand where you're coming from, but I think you know Ted. Ted really did a good job at explaining. Like, yeah, it's all just really well integrated into the movie. Yeah, and I think that's the intent. Whether that works or not for you personally, that that's up for debate, uh, depending on the person you're talking to. But uh, you know, I I generally lean toward what you're saying, Andy, about like these really strong themes, like in Star Wars, that recur. And these were recurring themes, but they were very short snippets almost. And uh, to Zach's point, they really just kind of bring the viewer into the world, make you feel like you're part of it. And like, I think that's the intent, but that doesn't always work for everybody. And uh, you know, sometimes that can fall flat. But at least they had an intention with it instead of a lot of these longer series like Harry Potter movies. Uh, they went through several composers over the years yeah. and it, depending on the movies you're watching, you can't really feel huge connections sometimes uh, from one movie to the next. So, you know, at least it was consistent across and yeah, I think really the intent of the music is to kind of draw you into the world, just like you've got Caesar on TV drawing you into the world. Uh, you know, he's both 
that uh, piece for the people that are actually in the movie, but also for the audience to get into the movie and uh, feel like you're watching it with the people that are. You feel like you're a member the of the audience. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's an interesting way to tell a story. Again, doesn't always work, but uh, I think it worked pretty well for this series overall. I agree. Yeah, I definitely um, think it it did not subtract, uh, but at least it didn't add for me, is what I would say. Yeah, that's fair. Let's move on then from music. Uh, you guys have any specific favorite moments that really stuck out to you? I, I think we talked ad nauseum about the movie, and I think I pointed out my... yeah my favorites or or not i don't really have anything else off the top of my head to add so you guys go ahead if you don't have one andy uh right now one that stuck out to me i just thought it was savage and cold-blooded was uh you know katniss in the first movie does the whole thing to get the attention of the sponsors by shooting the arrow through the apple in the pig's mouth and that's really powerful scene but in the second movie because she's so pissed off that she has to go through this bullshit again Instead of doing anything that can show her worth and her skills, she uh, hangs a dummy of the previous game maker, Crane, and just leaves it there and then takes her bow and leaves. I just thought it was a really fun, savage scene. Uh, it's just like, fuck you. Tired of this shit. I should be done with this. And, yeah. Um, tr- miscellaneous thoughts on this film or series... No, nothing. I think we we talked a lot about the stuff that really either got to me or, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, I think let's uh, let's kind of start wrapping it up here. So what do you guys – I think we've talked about this kind of a little bit too, but movie rankings, how do you rank these four movies? Um, I'm going to go – I really enjoyed Catching Fire. I thought that was the strongest for me. Then I would go The Hunger Games, and then I would go Mockingjay Part 2, Mockingjay Part 1. I think Part 1 really suffers because it doesn't have that piece that's The Hunger Games that really connects all of these movies together and really just... It, it's the draw of the movie is to see the teenage deathmatch, essentially. Like, it's kind of morbid, but uh, th- that's the draw yeah. of the movie. So it, those are my rankings. Real quick, mine, very similar, right, Tedder? I went over it, but it just goes, uh, I think maybe the first one I would say I like better than the second one, but then definitely the last one as opposed to part one, so. I I don't think it's going to be so much of a shocker, but I definitely think the first one is the strongest. Uh, I really liked the second one, uh, 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 Catching Fire. Then Mockingjay Part 2, Mockingjay Part 1. I think that uh, Mockingjay Part 2 was a much stronger closer than Mockingjay Part 1 was the kind of bridge in the series. So, yeah, I think we're all on the same page, pretty much. All right, so what are we deciding? Are we Team PETA or are we Team Gale? I don't know. What about you? Um, I think I'm unfortunately going to have to go with Team Gale. Like, I don't, I'm given the choice between the two, so I have to pick one. Well, I guess I'm going with Liam Hemsworth. So does he live in this movie series? Did he actually, like, what was the, do we know what happened to him? I don't remember what happened to him. Good question. I think he lives. He lives? Yeah, he does live. And I, I think I remember the ultimate, like, point where Katniss makes her choice, I guess, or at least, like, 
takes Gale out of the running is when (laughs) when she finds out that he had at least a small part in the uh yeah. the killings of those children who were separated in front of snow's mansion yep like he shows remorse for that but she's like get fucked gail so yeah uh, we don't yeah, know what that, happens kind of how that ends we, yeah, we his story's left unanswered we know Peter's story he doesn't get to say his final words in this movie uh we just get to look at him and then camera back to katniss so i'm team gail that's fair I'm going to go Team PETA. Like, I know he's a meek little bitch boy, and uh, but we've already we've already talked about that a little bit of a, a nice guy. But I don't know. At least he had depth to him. Like, Gail, you, you just kind of asked what happened to Gail. That's how forgettable this guy is. I called him stale Gail earlier. He just is essentially not even there. He's more of a brother character, I think, to Katniss than anything. And I, I, I had a problem to not that this like has anything to do with this part, but like Gail goes from just regular dude who hunts and works in the mines in District 12 to being somehow a soldier who has the ear of the higher ups in the next two movies. That was super jarring for me. I didn't like that at all. It was just like they kind of shoved him in there because, well, we got to get Liam Hemsworth in here. We got to have his character be involved. Yeah. Duh. To be fair, I think that that's just, again, a bit of exposition that we're missing from the books. They didn't just stick Gale in there because it's Liam Hemsworth all of a sudden. Or maybe they did. Maybe they did. Maybe (laughs) the Gale character actually died in the first book and Ted doesn't remember it. Maybe. It's only because they accidentally signed Liam Hemsworth's uh, contract (laughs) for more years than they were supposed to. It's like you billed me as... uh the second lead in these movies even though i'm clearly not so uh <laughs> you're putting me in all these fucking movies yeah, all right fair he was still really bad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh i gotta i mean if i have to choose i would go team Peta. both terrible choices both terrible choices yeah. i mean these guys are just bad i would go what's the guy what's the uh what's the guy's name they team up with in the first mocking jay uh, uh finnick Finnick. Finnick. I'll go with Team Finnick. Oh, we, yeah, never, that's great. we never Finnick. talked about Finnick. He was He's the great. one character that I actually enjoyed in this movie. Talk about him. Oh, man. I can't believe I didn't mention him before because he was the only, like, extra character that, like, was randomly introduced at one point where I questioned him, where I yeah. wasn't, like, ever, like, wait, what is his intent? And when he was trying to portray his intent i still questioned it when it was learned i started to accept it and then at the moment of his death i embraced him so to that guy it it was pretty obvious though he was gonna die though like they would not have had his wedding if not for the fact that he was gonna die later it was absolutely clear all right i'll give the three fingers we're we're doing three fingers finnick man pour one out for finnick Did our boy Finnick dirty? Finnick is my answer on the question between (laughs) Peta and Gale. So screw (laughs) Finnick's wife. Well, just get in between them. All right, so Zach's team Finnick. I'll throw my actual team there. Uh, Hashtag Team Rue then, too. Uh, So, like, if you're going to pick someone, I'm going with Team Rue. Wait, (laughs) I mean, that's a really weird answer. Rue's a minor. I I don't think you can make, (laughs) I don't think you can ship him. 
No, I'm mean, not. No, I'm not shipping. No, I'm saying like sh- I'm saying Rue is like if I'm gonna go with like a character like to have a yeah, hashtag. We're talking. For him. We're talking we're, shipping. We're here. talking if you're Katniss and you've got the oh. choice here. You can't oh, pick I'm Rue saying. there. Oh, I thought we were Rue. just like picking teams. I thought we were just like picking teams. <laughs> I didn't know this had anything to do with Katniss. <laughs> nah, this, this was. I didn't want to the fin- choice between Gale and Peta is supposed to look like what we're oh. uh, coming up on in the election right here. This wonderful choice we have between two <laughs> wonderful people, our two brightest stars. Okay, Absolutely. I'm very my bad. I didn't know we were shipping Katniss with a character. I just thought we were choosing teams. So what did you think? I thought we were choosing teams. If you had to choose well, between what, either what being- podcast, are you recording right now? Come on. I didn't know we were doing a relationship drama. Well, shit. Well, definitely not anything that I just... I'm not shipping Finnick with anyone. He's got a wife. He had a love yeah. story. You, you gotta walk he back actually, that whole Rue thing, because she's a minor. Well, yeah, no, I'm gonna go back. Rue is the next point, too, saying that Rue is not a character that I need to ship with Katniss. I want... <laughs> I'm saying, like, Team Rue, like, I support that young child. That's she should have never been in those Hunger Games. She... And... Like, we basically forgot about her in the third movie, even though she was, like, a pivotal moment, as you mentioned, Ted, in part two. Yep. Or, uh, she's the a second sister movie. surrogate for uh, Katniss in the games. Uh, that's a really strong point in uh, the yeah. first movie, is she takes the place of Prim because Prim cannot be there. Yeah. All right, no. so I got to uh, ship Team PETA, then. I'll right. join you guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Sometimes life is disappointing. You know, Katniss didn't have much of a choice when it all was said and done. She's living in an apocalyptic world, and those are her choices, man. (laughs) That she's living in an apocalyptic world? Amich was single. I know he's a few years older than her, but maybe she could have chose him. He's got a full head of luscious locks, too. Yeah, but that's like, that's like, you know, that those stepdad videos. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. That's the, 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 the new Pornhub algorithm that forces that shit on you. <laughs> right. yeah. Oh, boy. I think um, that's a great spot to end the podcast then, right, gentlemen? Yeah. All righty. Well, does that wrap it up? Guys, I think we're done. I think we did it. We did it. Cool. We, we did it. We, we did the Hunger Games. Do we want to rate it? Or do we do a 1 out of 10 or 1 sure. out of 5? I don't do think do we've it. ever rated anything before. You pick your own rating scale. We'll do it All right. way. I'm going to give this a solid five out of seven. Five out of seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it does enough good things to make it okay, but not enough stuff to make me want to go back and watch it ever again. Okay. Ted? I'm going to give this uh, four pieces of burnt bread, intentionally burnt bread. And that's out of five. Okay. okay. All right. Can you explain your rating system for me, though? It was just arbitrary. I just picked the thing from the movie. It's really like four out of five. I don't know. I, I thought they were pretty oh, good. Okay. It, I, I thought you were using scary. like four pieces of burnt bread as a negative. But I get no. I, I was just trying to pick an object from the movie to Got be it. silly. Uh, but yeah, as far as a series, I just think it was overall strong compared to other series we've tackled so far. Like that, I don't think there's a huge weak spot that there are weaker movies but i don't think they're as weak as some other movies and other series that we've tackled so far so i think it's pretty consistent overall i agree yeah if i'm if i'm uh if i'm rotten tomatoes i'm i'm going like like 83 percent fresh like 
This is this is a good franchise for me. I really liked it. I thought there were definitely some, you know, it's got its its young adult tropes, and 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 that's fine. You know, that's the only real like downer about it. But it's a young adult series, so what can you what can you ask for? You know, overall, I thought it was really highbrow for what it was. So oh yeah, I like way it. more heavy than you would expect from a YA series. Yeah. You're not getting yeah. that from Twilight or fucking Divergent. Maybe you are. I don't know. I don't know. But I imagine you're not. I, uh, I would doubt it, but we'll see. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> so We shall see. So? Maybe. Not this month, though, because this next month of October, we're getting spooky, and we're getting ooky, and we're going with <laughs> Scream. Something that I'm not super familiar with. I'm excited for it. And uh, yeah, it fits the theme of Halloween. I just want to go back and hear you say, why are we getting ooky? And what is ooky? It's spooky and ooky, you know? It just runs with spooky. (laughs) I know what what spooky is, but I don't know if I'm allowed to get ooky with you guys. So, (laughs) (laughs) Well, ask and find out. Yeah. It's going to get ooky. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a good thing. Well, yeah, so, yeah, watch Scream, and thanks for joining us. That was The Hunger Games. May the odds be ever in your favor. Oh, shit. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, find us on most podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, at Franchise Flicks, for new episodes and other content. You can follow Andy on Twitch and Instagram, at Darth Buckman, and follow Zach on Twitter at underscore Zach Russo. Talk to you next time.